You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on the fifth Sunday of Easter, May 19th, 2019. A reading from the book of Revelation. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, all who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I don't know if you realize it. I didn't realize it till I was doing some research for my sermon today, but today is the one-year anniversary of the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Do you all remember that happening last year? Did any of you watch the wedding or, or some part of it? Some of you did? There were 29 million Americans who tuned in to the wedding of those two folks in England. Um, And there were certainly uh, more in England and around the world. It was a a global celebration in so many ways. Um, And so I was thinking about it. Why do so many people tune in to watch a wedding for two people they've never met, uh, two people they probably will never meet? Uh, What is it about a wedding that makes people curious and want to watch? Give up their Saturday morning. We ate our pancakes while we watched the wedding. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. First of all, um, for a royal wedding anyway, there's the grandness of the the occasion. Uh, You have uh, all these fancy people with fancy clothes and fancy cars and fancy horse-drawn carriages. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance that goes into a royal wedding. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance that even goes into a a normal wedding like the the rest of us have. And so maybe it has something to do with that, the pageantry, uh, or maybe something it has to do with with the American fascination uh, with the royal family. Uh, It's kind of amazing that that this family in England, this country that we separated from more than 200 years ago, uh, still remains a fascination to us as Americans. Then there's the Cinderella story aspect of it, that Meghan Markle, this American commoner, granted she was a famous actress, but she's an American commoner, not a royalty person, uh, ends up marrying a prince and becoming in line to the throne in England. That's a pretty amazing thing too. 
But I think there's also something in most of us that loves seeing a couple come together, any couple. Uh, I think that's why so many people love being matchmakers and, and trying to find the, the perfect spouse for someone else. Now, granted, being a matchmaker is not always a, a helpful thing, and the people you try to matchmake don't always appreciate it. Uh, but there's something about that. We love seeing a love story. We love seeing people come together. We love those romantic comedies uh, and, and watching these stories of love flourishing. And there's also the inspiration that comes from a wedding. The commitment expressed in wedding vows is deeply moving and inspiring. Listen to these words that come from our Anglican wedding service. In the name of God, I take you to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, until we are parted by death, according to God's holy word. This is my solemn vow. How often do we make solemn vows in this world today? Not that often, but marriage is one of those places where we still make solemn vows towards other people. And we make deep promises, not just surface level promises, but deep promises that cost us something. I think one final reason that so many of us are fascinated by weddings and love seeing weddings is that there's something hard baked into us because weddings are at the very beginning of the whole story of humanity. In the book of Genesis, right after God creates everything in the the whole world, the very last thing he creates are Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman. And he creates Adam first, and he tries to find a helper suitable for Adam. And so he brings before Adam all of the animals, the chimpanzees, the kangaroos, the whales, the dolphins, all of them, and none of them is found to be a suitable helper for Adam. And so God creates Eve out of Adam's side, out of one of his ribs. And when Adam finally sees Eve, this is what he says. He says, this, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You can hear the joy in his voice as he declares this. And then the next verse says, therefore, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so this is a pattern that God set up for all of us. Not everybody gets married, but for humanity, this is a pattern that God set up for us from the beginning of of time, from the beginning of humanity. And so every marriage today points backwards to that marriage. And every marriage today also points forward to a future marriage that's going to happen at the end of time. And we read about it in the book of Revelation this morning from one of our passages today. The marriage that we see here takes place after a great battle between someone called the Lamb and all the forces of darkness in the world. It gets a little confusing trying to figure out who these characters are. Um, But the thing you need to know is that there's this great battle. Everything evil and wicked against the Lamb and everything good. And the lamb reigns, the lamb conquers, the lamb comes out victorious. And this is what it says about the lamb right after the battle. It says, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. Now a lamb seems kind of like a funny figure for a victor in battle, doesn't it? 
When we think about lambs, we think about, I don't know, Mary had a little lamb, right? His fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was... It's sort of a a meek and mild sort of an image. And yet this lamb, in the book of Revelation, is a great and victorious warrior. A great and victorious warrior that saves all of humanity from the forces of darkness. And the way that this lamb conquers is by his blood, by laying down his life for the sake of everyone else. And if you haven't guessed it already, this lamb is Jesus. This lamb imagery is an image that that was given to Jesus in the Bible because Jesus, like lambs in the Old Testament, became a sacrifice for our sin. And unlike the sacrifice of the Old Testament lambs, one lamb could, could offer as a sacrifice for your sin and that would last, you know, maybe two minutes until you sin again. Jesus is the one sacrifice that lasts forever. And so when this battle has concluded, we see the lamb and then another figure. We see the bride. And this is where we begin to see this wedding coming together. We see the lamb and the lamb is getting married to the bride. And so as we said, the lamb is Jesus and the bride is the church. And when it continues to speak about this, in verse 9 of chapter 19, it says, The angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What's the best wedding you've ever been to? Ours, yeah, of course, ours. Yeah. Of course, we were the only two at that wedding, but uh, what was the best wedding you've ever been to? What was the food like? What was the celebration like? Was there dancing? Was there rejoicing? Was there joy on that day? Usually there is. Now magnify that by, I don't know, like a million or a billion times. And that's the kind of joy that we see in this marriage of the Lamb that lasts not just for a day, not for a week, not even for a month, but for all of eternity. The picture we get is that heaven is like a great marriage banquet. That was the best thing that most people in the Old Testament could ever experience was the feast that goes along with a wedding. And this is saying that heaven is is much like that. It's like a, a wedding banquet that goes on and on forever and that never ends. And then one commentator says about this passage that those invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb are believers who belong to his beloved bride, the church, who've been called through the gospel of grace. And so those invited to this wonderful marriage supper are also the bride, the church. And it's an invitation that's open and available to all of us if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. This is a banquet not to miss. And so it's important to ask, are you one of the ones who's invited? You can be if you confess your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb, the Bridegroom, and our Redeemer. And this marriage, this final marriage at the end of all time, This is the fulfillment of the image of marriage that was first expressed in Adam and Eve and that's present in every human marriage that exists today and through all of time. And so every human marriage points both backwards and forwards, points deep into our past and far into our future. And each human marriage, even though none of our marriages is perfect, they all are reflections of these two great realities at the beginning and the end of time. And at their best, 
they show us a little glimpse of what that long-lasting, forever eternity marriage is going to look like. It's the perfect expression of God's, and we say this in, in preschool, in chapel all the time, God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the kind of love that God has for us, for his people. And Jesus calls us to express this love, not just to one person or to a couple people, but to one another, to all the people we come in contact with, and especially within the church. In the gospel today, we read these verses, Jesus' instructions to his disciples. And this comes in the context of the Last Supper. Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, which was a, a severe act of servitude. It was something only the lowliest of servants would do because... I don't know about you, but if you walked through the streets of of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, you'd have a lot of stuff on your feet. A lot of icky stuff that I'm not going to mention right now, but you'd have stuff on your feet. And so the lowliest of servants would be the one who would wash all that stuff off of your feet so that you'd be prepared to come inside and have, have dinner or have a special dinner in this case. And so Jesus takes that lowliest place. He kneels down before his disciples. He washes each of their feet even though he's their teacher, their leader, their rabbi, and their Lord. And then Jesus continues to teach them, and he says this towards the end of the evening. He says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now that's supposed to be a different kind of love, an elevated sort of love, a love that mirrors God's perfect love, even though we do it imperfectly because we're sinners. But it's supposed to be a love that mirrors the sacrificial, self-giving love that Jesus shows us. And so this love is not an emotion. Often when we think of love, we first think of emotion. And emotion is a wonderful byproduct of love, but it's not love itself. Love is much deeper than emotion. And it's not simply romantic love that's just for husbands and wives. This is the sacrificial, selfless love that Jesus modeled for all of us. Love is a choice. It's an action. If you're into grammar, love is a verb, not a noun. And so love is sacrificial and it's giving. When we see this in the marriage vows, uh, we can recognize it. Not just for better and in health and in times of, of riches, but for better and for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer and for poorer, both in the good times and in the bad times. That's what love looks like. Jesus demonstrated this by washing his disciples' feet, but he demonstrated it ultimately in the way he sacrificed himself on the cross for each one of us. We would be nowhere without that love. One passage that we often hear read at weddings comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is a passage that's not just for married love, not just for romantic love, but it's an expression of how we are to love one another. It's a a fleshing out of, of what Jesus means when he says, love one another as I have loved you. And it says this, it says, love is patient and kind. 
Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Isn't that beautiful? That's what I aspire to be. I don't always do it perfectly. In fact, I frequently fall on my face in trying to live up to this kind of a standard of love. But it's the kind of father I want to be. It's the kind of husband I want to be. It's the kind of pastor I want to be. It's the kind of friend I want to be. It's the kind of stranger I want to be. And this world would be a very different place if this was the standard that all of us tried to live by. Love is staying up with a sick child throughout the night and cleaning up after them from whatever caused them to stay up. Love is serving food at a soup kitchen for people you don't know, but people you know are in deep need. It's letting your spouse choose what to watch on Netflix this evening instead of insisting on your own way. It's giving of your resources to help someone in need. It's putting the needs of others before your own needs. Love is where we find our true selves. There's a a theologian named Henry Nouwen, and he says, our greatest fulfillment lies in giving ourselves to others. And that kind of flips things on its head, doesn't it? Because normally when we think about being fulfilled, we think about doing things for ourselves, pampering ourselves, going after those hobbies that we love, pursuing the things that make us happy. What he's saying is that our deepest fulfillment, the fulfillment we're not going to find in any other way, is not by serving ourselves, but in giving ourselves to others in this sacrificial way that Jesus demonstrates to us. And if you've never experienced that kind of love, it is the kind of love that Jesus demonstrates to us each and every day. And it's a love that you can experience in him. If we are truly followers of Jesus, we will be people who love everyone, even the unlovable, even the people who get on our nerves, even the people who push our buttons. Do you have buttons that get pushed? I do. Those are the people that we need to strive to love because if we can love them, we can love anybody. And Jesus says that this is a mark of true discipleship. He says, wrong passage. He says, love one another just as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So let us be that kind of a people. Let us be the kind of people who love, not just with a human love, but with a supernatural, sacrificial love that can only come by having God dwell within us by his Holy Spirit. Let us be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he gave for us. Let us confess our sins and turn our lives wholly over to him, putting our faith in him, because he's the only one who can save us. And he's the only one who can truly show us what love looks like. So let us walk in his footsteps and love like he loves. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great love that you have for us. We thank you for the way that you've demonstrated that love to us, not just in simple ways, 
but in the deep sacrifice of your own Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to take our place on the cross and to die for our sins. We pray, Lord, that as you raise us to new life, that you would free our hearts to love as you love, that you would send your Holy Spirit into us to fill us and give us the strength to do what we can't do in our own strength. Help us to be sacrificial people who give of ourselves for others and help us to find our true selves in you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org slash sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.